You're listening to A Journey with Chris and American English, Season 2, Episode 2, American Optimism. So, it feels good to be back. I've been away for almost two months now, I think. To be honest, I've had a lot of projects, a lot of side projects. I've had a lot of personal things related to school and my personal life. So I didn't have a lot of time to devote to this project. However, I have been keeping an eye on it and making sure that it stays up because there are still a lot of people who are interested in listening to the old episodes. So that has actually motivated me to continue making the new episodes. However, because I am still involved in a lot of projects and a lot of things in my private life, I do not have the time to prepare a script or a lot of notes for each episode. So please be aware that most of this is kind of off the cuff, spontaneous, and really just my thoughts in the moment. However, we will of course have a topic, and the topic of today is optimism, namely American optimism and why it is so prevalent and so important to Americans and American culture. With that being said, let's begin. So humans like to partition things off into different categories, different sectors, different groups, etc. Humans are also very, I would say, tribalistic in nature, in that we tend to gravitate towards people who are most most often like us, which is honestly pretty obvious because, as they say, birds of a feather flock together. There's also another saying or meme or quote, I don't know what you want to call it, that I really like, and it goes something like, there are 10 kinds of people, those who understand binary and those who don't. And I always find that kind of funny because not a lot of people understand binary. And so the joke being that binary is made up of ones and zeros. And this also ties into another thing that I want to touch on in that people also like pairs. Um, this us versus them or the left versus the right not in the not in a political sense don't worry we're not going to get political but what i mean is partitioning the world into two equal parts another part that is often brought up or another group sorry are the optimists and the pessimists and that is something that i want to touch on today Maybe the word accused is a bit strong, but I find it to be very fitting for what we're talking about today. Americans have been accused of being very optimistic, almost fatally, um, if you will, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But Americans are always so joyful, are always so, yeah, optimistic always so hopeful about the future and you can see this in a couple of political slogans 
the most uh, famous of which is, in my opinion, from Obama with Yes, We Can. Um, and this also carries over into other political parties that try to incorporate some sense of, yes, the situation maybe isn't the best, but it'll get better and I'm going to make it better. And I always kind of wondered where this optimism came from or why Americans always have this attitude of hope for the best, but prepare for the worst or expect the worst, if you will, even if the worst never really comes. And I think it goes back to the fact that America or rather the United States, um, is comprised of many different cultures, many different groups, many different languages, and I believe this to be one of the overarching features that connects all of these groups, language being another one. So American English is the language that connects all these groups. That's a point that I touched on in another episode. And I think that this optimism also ties into other aspects of um, of Americans' life. So, for example, Americans really enjoy small talk. They really enjoy just bantering with the cashiers or people at the bus stops. Just a lot of these small things add up. And... I believe optimism also ties into the famous American mentality with respect to Hollywood or with respect to being famous or renowned or well-known, and that is fake it until you make it, meaning you basically have to lie to yourself and say, I'm the greatest and I know it. But not everyone else knows it, and I have to prove it to them. And so it's this sort of self-deception where you kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, if you will, that I think has allowed the U.S. to be one of the biggest powerhouses in modern history. Now, of course, we can dispute whether or not it's the greatest country of all time, or if it's the the greatest thing ever, or any number of things. But I don't want to really go down that road because it kind of mm, muddies the waters a bit, if you will, because it's not the actual point of what I'm trying to make. So let's go back to that, this fake it till you make it. And as I said before, it's really just self-deception. It's really just lying to yourself and saying... I'm the greatest ever, and I'm the best it's ever been. Um, and if I believe it, then maybe others will believe it too, and then I'll believe it for real. Sort of this, you know, life imitating art, so to speak, um, kind of mentality. And I believe that this optimism is what it is basically what has allowed the U.S. to, like I said, become so 
influential. Even if you dispute the fact that the U.S. is a strong country, I don't think there's really any denying the fact that the U.S. is very influential. And maybe some of this power has kind of waned over time. And there are some other nations that are kind of encroaching on this. Um, well, I mean, I guess encroaching is kind of a, not really the, the best word because it sounds somewhat nefarious. But what I mean is, is no one can stay at the top forever. And no matter how good you are, there's always someone better or someone waiting to take your place, basically. And that sentiment there is... I would say probably one of the most anti-American things that you can say, basically. Because you it's drilled into you from a very early age, or at least it was for me, that we're the best, everyone else has to know it, and if they don't know it, then they will know it soon. And I still believe this to be true in the sense that this mentality is propagated. Um, and it's very per- pervasive throughout the entire culture and everything we do and everything we say. Um, you see this in the music, you see this in the movies, you see this in books, all kinds of things, really, where people are so optimistic that it's that it borders on narcissism, really. I also think it kind of borders on fatalism. So it's a very fatalistic optimism, if you will, in the sense that if we just try hard enough, we'll make it. If we just believe hard enough, we can do it. And it's narcissistic in the sense that you've diluted your thinking into believing that you can do anything, when in reality, I don't want to say you can do nothing, but you're not as powerful as you can think, or you're not as powerful as you think. And I believe this is similar to the placebo effect. So for those who don't know, the placebo effect is, I think, one of the most well-known medical phenomenons. Basically, it's a way to test how effective a pill is. So you have two pills. One is the real pill, the one that will actually heal you. And the other is just a sugar pill. And the thinking behind this is, is if I tell you something works, then you try to convince yourself that it has to work because I told you. So I've kind of poisoned the well in the sense that I've given you the answer. And you don't have to look for the answer yourself. And if you take the sugar pill, you might actually try and make yourself believe that the pill is working. And for like small things, this really does actually work. So it's really mind over matter. So if you have something like a headache, for example, or maybe your foot kind of hurts a little bit, um, or you've been jogging and your your back hurts a little bit because you went up a, a huge hill, I don't know, then giving you a sugar pill might actually help you because you really make yourself believe that, hey, this pill is working. Now, that's a problem, because if I give you the real pill, there's really no way for me to know, like, is the real pill working, or is it the placebo? 
And this is kind of used to filter things out to make sure that the mind isn't more powerful than the pill, so to speak. So that when I give someone a pill, no matter what they believe, they can't really defeat it with their way of thinking, if you know what I mean. And so this optimism is really just kind of drilled into you from a very early age, as I said a few minutes ago. And maybe it seems like I've been kind of harping on it and being somewhat negative towards this American optimism. But I really don't actually want that to be the message of what I'm trying to say. Because this optimism has really helped me shape um, a lot of aspects of my life. And it's really helped me achieve things that, honestly, I probably would have never been able to do otherwise. Because in a lot of cultures... Let me backtrack. So, I've been in Germany for the past 10 years. And I had to do what was called um, the German Abitur. I think for those from England... Um, or people who are familiar with England, these are known as the A-levels. And I had to do those to qualify for the university. And I remember a story my German teacher told me. That she, that she had a conversation with one of her friends. And it went something like this. She criticized her own culture because... So the German culture, because it tends to stifle optimism. It tends to stifle creativity. And there's a very real ceiling, a very a glass ceiling, if you will, in, um, in Europe. Because people have been kind of told to be more realistic about their goals, to be more in touch with reality. And she admired the American culture. Because in Germany, let's say, for example, you start a company. I don't know. Let's say a bakery, for example. This was the example she used. And it's been your dream to be a baker. And you want to make the best pastries and donuts in the entire world. But it just doesn't work out. So you spend a whole bunch of money in... In your company, you buy supplies, you buy, you buy flour, you buy or you rent a building, um, you hire people, and you invest all this money, all this time, and you spend months and months and months preparing a business, and it just blows up in your face. And you basically wasted a couple thousand dollars or a couple... I don't know, maybe like sixty, seventy thousand dollars in a business, and it just didn't work out. The European response to that, that's a bit broad, but the German response would be, yeah, he's such an idiot, you know, he should have known that it would have been a good idea to invest all of that money in a business. And they kind of try to put you back in your place and make you feel bad for attempting it. Make you feel bad for wanting to chase your dreams. Because Germans like to do this cost-benefit analysis. And that's kind of like a term for marketing, or not for marketing, from economics. Which is, if the costs are very high and the benefit is very low, then you shouldn't do it. 
and the reverse is true. So if the the benefit is very high and the costs are very low, then you should do it. Um, so Germans kind of do this cost-benefit analysis all day long. Um, and that carries over into a lot of other aspects. And so to get back to the story with the teacher, she admired my culture, the American culture, because the response from Americans would be, wow, that's so great. I'm so glad that you that you tried it, that you did your best. I mean, I know it didn't work out, but you know, you went for your dreams and you learned something along the way. And that's something that will carry you for the rest of the life, or that that's something that will be with you for the rest of your life. And it was something I had never thought of, but it's true in that even if you fail in the U.S., you still get um, praise. You still get a reward for having at least tried. Now, this kind of, even though, like, when I was going to school, there is often this mentality from the teachers that there are no win- there are no losers because we're all winners. Um, which, I mean, I guess if you tell that to a little kid, it kind of softens the blow. But it does cheapen the value of actually winning because people are winners because they invest a lot, because they do their best, because they really try and give everything they have, basically. So that's why they're winners. And telling telling them they're all winners is, you know, it doesn't really prepare them for life. But I don't want to go down that road. What I'm trying to say is that even though you fail in the U.S., you still get praise for at least having tried because if you don't try, you'll never know. Whereas in Germany, it's more like, uh, don't even try at all um, because you might fail. Now, I don't want to say that they want to like push you to the ground, but they really do want you to have more of a realistic interpretation of your own dreams. Like, is this really a viable option? Should you go for that? Um, Whereas a lot of Americans are more like, uh, just throw caution to the wind and you'll be fine, so to speak. And that last sentiment, throwing caution to the wind, seems kind of fatalistic, if you will. Because it's this whole notion of give no thought for the morrow. Kind of like if you want to be a bit biblical, which is think not of tomorrow be in the present, you know, carpe diem, um, live in the moment, YOLO. I mean, there are so many expressions, really. Um, you could do a whole podcast about be in the moment. And a lot of Americans really are just kind of in the moment. And by being in the moment, you're also kind of in the future because you are trying to see, is this a viable option? Could I do something long-term? And I think for Germans in particular, it's more like, what is the long-term survival rate, really, of your project? And the Americans kind of think short-term and then long-term. At least that's the way I see it. I mean, maybe if you're... If you're a banker, then you probably see it also in more of an economical sense, in the sense that I'm not just going to give you money because it's a good idea. You have to give me some kind of security, some kind of collateral, 
or otherwise you're not getting any kind of money from me. Um, but yeah, so, so like I said, the sense of optimism, the sense of yes, we can, or, um, make life better, just that sense of optimism, I think has helped to carry a lot of generations into a better time, into a better future. And no matter how bleak the moments are right now, no matter how bad the situation is, tomorrow can always be better. And that is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. So if you don't know what a self-fulfilling prophecy is, then I think it would be helpful to talk a bit about what a prophecy is in general. So a prophecy is basically something that is supposed to happen in the future. So a prediction, if you will. So I could predict tomorrow that it will rain. And that's kind of a mundane, boring prophecy, a boring prediction, because the chances of it raining at any given moment are are not really close to zero. Because, I mean, it rains even in the desert. So there's always a chance it's going to rain. So making that kind of prediction is, well, it's boring. The more interesting predictions are ones that are very exciting or very... Um, specific. So if I say tomorrow um, a meteorite will uh, hit Tokyo, I mean, no one will get killed. It'll just be a small meteorite. But some kind of meteorite will, will hit Tokyo and it'll land in a park and there'll be a kid who'll pick it up and he'll give it to and so on and so forth. So that's a very specific prediction. And that becomes sort of interesting. But this kind of prediction happens independent of me. I have no influence over it. So there's no way for me to control this kind of event. And then there are self-fulfilling prophecies. So there are things that we say will happen in the future and we work towards them. So if I say, for example, in 20 years, um, Germany will be the most powerful country in the entire world, economically speaking. Now, even though my powers as an individual are very limited and my financial resources are not really appropriate for this task, I could theoretically help make that a reality. I could improve the economy of Germany and I could make it so that in 20 years, Germany is the most economic or the, the strongest country, economically speaking in the entire world. It's a very slim possibility. I mean, probably less than 1%. But it's still a possibility. And if I work towards that goal, then that is self-fulfilling. And so we have to be careful if uh, when we're talking about uh, prophecies and self-fulfilling prophecies, um, irrespective of whether or not you believe in predictions and futures and uh, clairvoyance and all, all that fun stuff. So optimism and self-fulfilling prophecies kind of go hand in hand, especially in the American sense. Because if we believe that tomorrow is better and we work towards a better tomorrow, then we kind of um, confirm our own biases, also known as confirmation bias. Um, And we also confirm our own optimism. So it's somewhat of, I guess, a cycle, if you will. Um, I have hope for tomorrow, And my optimism lets me believe that tomorrow will be a better day. 
tomorrow's a better day, therefore my optimism was correct. And and so and you go in like in the circle, in this cycle. I guess maybe I wouldn't call it a vicious cycle, I would call it a benevolent cycle, if you will. You just get kind of stuck in this loop of um if you're optimistic, good things will happen, good things will happen, therefore you're optimistic. Um and then the key question is, was your optimism justified? Were you justified in being optimistic? And that is sort of a very non-American way of thinking. Because, as I said before, you have this fake it until you make it. You have um, this live in the moment. Uh, give no thought for the morrow. And if you go through... A lot of American music, a lot of American books, a lot of American series, even if you go through a lot of um, political speeches, which is a very sensitive topic at this moment, I know, but if you go through a lot of political speeches in the U.S., a lot of them are very optimistic. Um, they try to downplay the dangers that we have at the moment. Nothing with respect to the global situation. I don't want to say the word, but with respect to the global situation... Um, a lot of these speeches try to downplay that and try to upplay or upsell the optimism that you should have in the situation. And I guess you can judge for yourself how well that has worked out in the U.S. up until this point. Um, and I don't mean that in a cynical way. I don't mean that in um, a very sarcastic manner. I am totally serious about that question. Because, at least for for me and for other Americans, our optimism is it's kind of like a two-sided coin, if you will. On the one hand, it's something very personal. Kind of like a religion, I guess, if you will. It's something that you have to justify to anyone. Um, if you're optimistic about the future, then, well, that's your own personal thing. So, congratulations for being optimistic. But at the same time, if you're so convinced of your optimism... If you're so convinced that um, we can do it, then you want to get other people on board. And you see this a lot in American politics um, from all sides, really. You don't actually really see this in in European politics, so to speak. And to better understand that, I think it would be helpful for you to go and analyze the past couple decades with respect to politics in the U.S. and analyze your own country and you'll see how persistent this um, we're the best, um, we can do it, um, we're great, um, we want to show the world how great we are. So that's something that I'll just give you along the way. Um, we're approaching the end of the podcast and i really hope that you enjoyed listening to this um new type of podcast i really hope that you enjoyed um today's topic it was more of my thoughts in the moment it was more of just my um free speaking if you will so and i promise that i won't be gone so long like i was last time um, I'll be back next week, or I might be back sooner, depending on, um, how much time I have, but I would definitely be returning to, um, 
my regular schedule of uploading episodes in a regular order or in um, in a very consistent manner, if you will. So yeah, that was all for today's episode about optimism in the U.S. and how I think it relates to and differs from optimism in other countries. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. Um, these are very difficult times. Um, even though we have a new year, I hope that it'll eventually get better. <laughs> we just started. But regardless of that, please stay safe. Take care of yourself. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week. And see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>